Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can come together in this day. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather with those of like precious faith. We're thankful for the witness that you've given us from those who are older, who taught us in our youth, who gave us an example to follow of living lives for thee. And we pray that you would bless each of us as we seek to discern your will for our lives, as we seek daily, moment by moment, to understand your direction for our lives and to be able to live them in a way that would be an example for those who come after us yet. All these things we thank thee for and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday I was in uh, Leo, Indiana for um, Brother Vic Schlatter's memorial service. Brother Vic grew up in the, the sister church there. And I was very inspired by the different stories that were shared by his family about Brother Vic's life. And I remember from my, my childhood, uh, Brother Scott Toth was there. He said he remembered 55 years ago when Brother Vic came and visited their church. And I'm guessing that that is the same, probably the same year that he came to our church. I would have been in second, about second grade. I would have been seven or eight years old. And Brother Vic shared a slide presentation of, of New Guinea. And that was very, uh, very impressive to me also. Uh, signs of the Times, of course. Uh, he also did a second program at our, at our uh, public school one evening. You can imagine that. But uh, anyway, the, this, you know, I don't know, one instance was very meaningful in my, my young life and really stressed to me the, the importance of going into all the world and of having a, a missionary mindset. But, you know, what, what seemed uh, great and wonderful, you know, if you think back and you think about what he had to do to, to accomplish what he did in life, uh, he was born in, in 1931. Uh, he was obviously uh, very, uh, very smart, very intellectual. He studied nuclear engineering at Purdue University. And when he was 21, he married his wife, Elsie. And he worked for seven years as an engineer in Richland, Washington, as a nuclear engineer. And he was inspired by other events that took place slightly before this. If you remember back in 1956, in January of 1956, the uh, five 
missionaries that were in Ecuador were, were killed, uh, Jim Elliott, uh, Nate Saint being among them, and he was very inspired by their writings and the way they lived their lives. And this inspired him to seek to go into the mission field as well. And as Brother Mike pointed out this morning in our minister's meeting, you know, it was well, well documented, even one of his college courses, about the, the, uh, uh, the presence of American missionaries going into Papua New Guinea in the, in the 1960s and trying to interact and to bring the gospel to the, the tribes there that were mostly primitive and uh, very much separated from the rest of what we would con- consider the, uh, the first world countries. Brother Vic committed his life to Christ when he was 18, married Sister Elsa at 21. Again, he was working as a nuclear engineer, and he had been feeling this, this call to go to the mission field. And finally, he had this conviction he had to go and talk to his, his boss and tell his boss that he was going to uh, quit his job and go and pursue this full time, calling full-time. He started down the hall. Sister Elsie says he got halfway, halfway to the office and he lost his courage and he saw a closet, supply closet, tool closet in the hallway and he ducked in there and he knelt down and he prayed. And what he heard God saying to him was to go. He went in, tendered his resignation, went and trained with Woodcliffe Bible Institute to learn how to translate foreign languages, how to translate the Bible and develop it, develop it into a language that had no written capacity, no written, there was no written language at that time for the tribe he was going to. And in 1961, he went to New Guinea. Meanwhile, Sister Elsie was at home, and she was supposed to follow up with the four children. So she had sent a telegram to him asking him to meet them at such and such a time and place when she arrived with the four children. Of course, uh, the technology was not quite as good back then, or maybe... uh, For whatever reason, the telegram did not reach Brother Vic, and so Sister Elsie arrived with the four children, four small children. You can imagine how much fun that is if you're a mother of four children. And they waited all day, and Brother Vic never showed up. So finally at night, uh, in late afternoon, it got... Someone came by and they offered to take them to the next town and give them a place to stay for the night. And so having nothing else to do, she did that. But of course, now she's worrying, she's wondering, you know, there are rumors about that some of the tribes in New Guinea, that there were still cannibals, you know, among them. And so she's starting to have all these dark thoughts about, you know, maybe something's happened to him. And so they... uh, 
they get to the uh, place where she was staying overnight, and it so happened that someone else was staying there, and they asked her, so are, are you related to, to Vic Schlatter? And she said, yes, I'm his wife. And the person says, well, I know where he is. I will, tomorrow I will take you to him. So in spite of the inability of human technology to work, the Lord sent the right person at the right time to the right place, and they were able to reconnect as a family. Sister Elsie has her own story. When she was 15, she was first convicted and came to the Lord. And this same year, this same time, she had this vision. And in this vision, she saw Jesus reaching out to her. And Jesus told her that she was going to be sent to the mission field. Jesus told her that he was going to provide a husband for her and that she was going to become a, a nurse. Or a midwife, at least, I'm sorry, a midwife. Now think about that at 15, if you've got that calling. You feel like you have that calling. That's a lot to handle. So, lo and behold, uh, one day her uh, aunt said that she was, Elsie, Sister Elsie lived in, in Oregon, and her aunt that she was living with uh, said that, hey, she's going to Indiana, and uh, on the train, would you come with me? So, Sister Elsie was glad to do that, went with this aunt, went to the, uh, the church there where, where Brother Vic brought up, and Sister Elsie says, well, I wasn't familiar with, with the layout of the church, how it worked, and if you remember in the old days, back in my day, way, way back in the 60s, early 60s, uh, there used to be uh, a men's, the men's came on, in on one side of the church, and the women came up on the other side of the church, and so uh, Sister Elsie went down the wrong stairwell, she went down the men's stairwell, and she ran into Brother Vic. And the rest is history, as they say. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to say, well, it's still like that in Israel at the, at the uh, Western Wall there, right? Still got that. Anyway. Anyway, um, several years later, they got married and um, went to Papua New Guinea they lived with the Waula people in the Southern Highlands, and they took their, their spoken language and they translated it into, the, into a, a written language, and they published the New, New Testament in that language. And they started what they called the Good News Christian Church, which uh, now has over 160 congregations in Papua New Guinea and tens of thousands of believers. When I look at the Bible, 
I see these great stories of human men and women that were called by God, and they did these awesome things. See the Apostle Paul. We have all of his writings. We have all the history about what he did for the Lord. We have extensive writings of how Jesus came to this earth and how he shared the gospel with people. And we have little snippets of the people that he touched. We have snippets of the the people that, that Paul reached. And sometimes, as a believer, while I'm inspired by what the Apostle Paul did, I'm inspired by the example of Brother Vic Schlatter, I struggle to bring that home to my own life. And sometimes I wished wish that the Bible had more about you know, what happened to the crippled man that was healed. What happened to the dumb man who received his voice? What happened to the ordinary believer during the times of the Apostle Paul? What was their life like? And I'm going to read some out of Acts 18. To try to take one single snippet that we do have some some examples of in the Bible, of someone who, of a believing couple who was perhaps not as famous as the Apostle Paul, but are mentioned here. Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For they, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And skipping to verse 24, and also in chapter 18 of Acts. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them with 
much, helped them much with which he had, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. I really wish we knew more about Aquila and Priscilla. I really wish we knew more about their lifestyle and what made them tick. You know, we talked today in Bible class uh, about how the young man came and asked Jesus what he needed to do. And he was asked to give up everything and take up the cross and follow Jesus. And whenever I hear those words, I'm convicted because, you know, in my life, many of our lives, we, 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 have, it, uh, we have it pretty good. Stock market hasn't crashed yet. We still have, a, have, we still have some type of balance in most of our, our uh, pension funds or 401ks. That may all leave us, but we don't know the future. But, you know, for most of our, our lives, we've lived here in America we haven't had to make the types of sacrifices that Brother Vic made to go to New Guinea. And I wonder about the, the common member back in the days of Acts 2, in, in, back in the, those days as well. So do you think that Aquila and Priscilla ever got tired of making tents? I think I would have gotten tired of making tents. Do you think they ever experienced financial difficulties? Do you think they harbored any bitterness because they were forced to flee Rome because Claudius sent all the Jews out of Rome and they had to pick up and move to Corinth? Do you think they ever became frustrated as they were trying to explain more perfectly to Apollos how Jesus fit into the Gospels. How Jesus fit into the Old Testament. Do you think that they ever felt jealous that Apollos had this eloquent speaking manner and that he was able to take what they had taught him and go out and bring many to Christ. I don't know the answers to any of those questions. But I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 now. Starting with the 12th verse. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members that of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be of Jews or Gentiles whether we be bond or free, 
and have all have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God sent the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So as a body of believers, we have the heroes of faith in the Bible, Hebrews 11. We talk about them, we see their lives, their examples. Probably we talk about the, the uh, times when they were faithful, the times when they evidenced that life-giving faith. And yet if we look through the heroes of faith, we see that they had their, their human uh, human foibles as well. If we look at us as a body of believers, you know, we we want to we want to point to these heroes of faith and perhaps we want to put them on a pedestal. You know, Brother Vic is well, you know, well thought of throughout our our, our brotherhood, our, our family of God, for the many that he brought to Christ. You know, as his family also tried to point out, you know, he was also human. They said that when he was trying to focus on his uh, translation work, and the children used to make noise, that that used to upset him a lot. Surprise, surprise. For any father or mother that's ever tried to get something done, I guess that does not surprise me. So even the the heroes of faith, whether they be in the Bible or the flesh and blood people that we know today, we know that they all, too, are only flesh. And that this, this challenge that we have in taking our finding our mission and vision 
and applying it in our daily lives is something that, that all of us face. So I told you about Sister Elsie's, the vision that Sister Elsie have, had. And obviously I realize most, almost all of us probably do not have, have a vision or mission from the Lord that was that specific. But I hope that the Lord has given each of us in the body of Christ a mission and vision of how God wants to use us, of how we can be, be used to share the gospel, to minister to the body, to minister to those not only in our community, but of course, as opportunity allows, you know, throughout the world. And thus, back to Priscilla and Aquila, you know, being a tent maker here in the 21st century, that doesn't seem like a, a very, I don't know, does not seem like a very prestigious job. I don't know for sure what it was back then, but, uh, but if you think about how did they use their job, you know, they ministered to the Apostle Paul while he worked with them. They ministered probably to the people that came to their business. They ministered to Apollos. When they saw that he had a gift, they took him aside and they worked with him to enhance the natural gift, the gift that God had given him, but they worked to enhance his understanding of the word. And sometimes I think that we as believers, we, we look around and we want to look at uh, Brother Vic, for example, or other missionaries or our our elders or our ministers or someone in the church, and we want to say, we want to want to say, you know, wow, they've really got this this gift of, you know, they have these different gifts, and the Lord's really using them, and you know how, you know, uh, but perhaps look down on ourselves and say, Lord, I look, I don't really have much gifts. How, I really don't have the gift that other people have. How can I, use, how can I be used by you? Uh, perhaps we're discouraged and we say, well, I can't, I can't do much. I can't do this. I can't do that. Perhaps we focus on the things we can't do versus the things that we can do. But one of the things that uh, Brother Vic's family left us with at the end of all of these accounts of these great things that uh, happened in Brother Vic's life, uh, the time when his uh, granddaughter at 10 days old got meningitis and they were told by the doctors that they were going to die. They didn't have a child IV, they had to use an adult IV and they had to sit with her and Brother Vic after having uh, someone else seen someone else's child die of meningitis, uh, had come and anoint her with oil and pray over her. And the doctors told him if, if she lives, she, if you're lucky and she lives through the night, she'll probably have uh, reduced mental capacity the rest of her life. And Brother Vic and Sister Elsie both had this dream, had the same dream, dream that, you know, 
Satan or dark forces were surrounding the child and trying to take the child, and they both woke up. When they woke up, they, they both had different uh, opposite interpretations of the dream. One was sure that, you know, this was the Lord was telling them the, Lord, the child was going to die, and the other one that the child was encouraged that they felt that the dream showed them the, that the child was going to live. And Brother Vic anointed the child with oil and prayed, and uh, the child recovered. The child went on to become valedictorian of her high school class, suffered evidently no, uh, no ill effects from this. So when we look at, we look at these types of miraculous things, we look at these great things that were done by these, these people of God, and we think, you know, God, how can you use me? And one of the things the family really expressed at the end was, is that we each may not be called to the mission field. We, we may not be called to do the types of things that Brother Vic was called to do, but we each needed to look to the Lord to understand the gifts that we had been given and to use them in his service to the best of our ability. And as, as I look at the way Aquila and Priscilla served, and as I look at how we as a body of believers are commanded to serve each other. It, it humbles me here. It talks about the, the comely parts that have no need. That it, talk, it talks about the, the uh, weaker members of the body, how that, um, you know, that we are to care for those as well. And that God has brought us together as a body of believers to, to bring our unique talents, our unique gifts, to, to serve him. And so often today in, in churches, we, I shouldn't say today, uh, in my lifetime, or in the lifetime of the church, I should say, we see this struggle where the body seems to forget these scriptures and loses its ability to, to come together, to function, to support each other. And that's discouraging. So... I think that as believers, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what, what does God want me to do today? Take small steps, you know, maybe it's only we, we, have, we have older, I shouldn't say, very careful here, I'm an older believer myself, but we, we have believers that are experiencing the frailties of this life. Um, we have shut-ins that are looking for for visits, are looking for a call. Um, you know, I, I'm busy. I don't do it enough, I know. But 
The thing is, is that we have to remember that, you know, our tent making here is only temporary and that the true gospel that we are called to is, while it may be done as part of our tent making, that we need to look beyond that and see the mission field that God has put in front of us. And perhaps it's uh, not, uh, not as... as uh, I don't know, I hate to say New, Papua New Guinea was a glamorous mission field, but uh, <clears throat> I, I have never been there, but I've seen many pictures, and uh, the conditions there are still outside of the cities and the southern highlands where Brother Vic are, are still uh, relatively uh, primitive compared to, uh, to uh, here in the U.S. But uh, we may look at others and think, hey, I wish I had their calling, and when uh and for lose the calling that that god has given us using it lose the perspective of what's right in front of us for those of you who listen to adventures in odyssey or listened to it growing up for me one of the most poignant episodes was the one that was done on the body. The Brotherhood of Dutiful Youth. The Brotherhood of Dutiful Youth came together to do good works in their community, to help each other out, and each one of the members had uh, characteristics of the body here that we see in 1 Corinthians. There was John Lafitte, who was the foot, the foot who provided the transportation. There was I see clearly the one who had the eyes, who could see people in need in the neighborhood that needed help. There was Hans Armstrong, the one that could lift heavy items when needed. And many others, one for each part of the body. And everything was going pretty well. And one day, though, John Lafitte got tired of being the transportation for the group. And he thought, you know, I'd really like to, I'd really like to branch out and, and uh, be the eyes. Uh, I'd like to uh, be the arms. So John left the body, or the Brotherhood of Dutiful Youth, John Lafitte went out, and he created his own group, the Feet. And the Feet went around, well, they went around a lot, but unfortunately, they didn't have the eyes to see the needs in the community. Unfortunately, they didn't have the strength to help the community. Unfortunately, they didn't have the wisdom to be able to plan to be able to meet the community's needs. After many attempts at helping, John Lafitte came back to the body, to the building where the body was. He knocked on the door. Eventually someone came and 
someone came to the door and John said, you know, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake. I left the body. I want to come back, I want to beat the feet again. The man that answered the door said, I'm sorry, but the body has disbanded. We didn't have anyone to provide transportation, and we were unable to meet the needs of the community. Every time I think about that, it makes me want to cry. It hurts. It hurts deeply. You know, I, I know, um, I know uh, Brother Vic, uh, um, you know, was for a long time, like people, you know, especially back in the day, questioned whether this was the right thing to do, take that small family out, you know, into the jungle, you know, and as uh, sister, as his children and Sister Elsie says, you know, Brother, brother Vic was, uh, was uh, somewhat, uh, sometimes kind of gruff and not always the most diplomatic person but the Lord gave him Sister Elsie to, uh, to smooth that over. And, um, but too many times, as a body of believers, uh, we, uh, we become discouraged, we lose our passion, we listen, to, we, we, we get caught up into the human frailties that we have. We are told lies by Satan, and we come short of providing for each other. And the Apostle Paul goes on to finish this by saying, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. Our job is to love each other. Our job is to love the world. Our job is to preach the gospel in all nations. And while your personal mission, your personal call may not be in Papua New Guinea, may not be across the world, 
It might be right here. It might be in your home. It might be in your neighborhood. I don't know where it is. I don't know what your calling is. I only know I have to work on my calling every day to try to understand what God wants me to do today and how I can be his hands and his feet to the world. And I pray that each of us would not only seek that, but we would live it out in our lives and pray that God would bless you in your spiritual journey, that you would look to whoever your hero of faith is, heroes of faith are, and take encouragement from them, but also to realize that God has given you his spirit and the opportunity to be a hero of faith where he's placed you. May the Lord bless his word.